With authority. Welcome to another quarantine edition of our With Authority podcast. Yes, how many months have we been rolling this way? Larry Beal, Casey Pratt, Chris Alvarez, seven, eight, nine, and our <laughs> special guest from the San Francisco Giants, first female coach in Major League Baseball history, Alyssa Nacken, who's joining us from her house in San Francisco. So you had a year under your belt as a coach. And so some of the novelty I'm sure has worn off and now you're getting set for what would be your second spring training. We still have a little bit of time before that takes place, but what's going through your mind in terms of where you are preparation wise and maybe the difference from where it was a year ago? Yeah, right now, actually, uh, we are already starting to plan what spring training is going to look like. You know, we, we don't know all of the details yet, just with the pandemic still going on and the restrictions. But um, as we said during the shutdown earlier this year, there's no benefit in not preparing for a 100 uh, percent season. So that's kind of how we're looking at. 2021. So yeah, we're already kind of talking amongst us, uh, the coaches and getting some practice plans together. Um, this time last year, I would say I was not not doing this. I was uh, 18 days away from the start of the interview process. So uh, I wasn't really thinking too much about spring training at all. So it's I was actually just thinking about that this morning, how different a year ago was for everyone in the world, but um, for my career personally as well. I want to pick up on the interview process. I'm just going to give you a warning. Chris uh, played college baseball, so he's going to ask a lot of spin rate, launch angle, uh, velocity <laughs> questions. We're going to save that for later on. No cool. yeah, no. Chris, Chris had a great launch angle back in Fresno, but anyway, he, he was doing launch angle before anybody even knew it, what it was. <laughs> The pioneer of launch angle. Yeah, no, he's the, guy. he's the guy. I can leave now. If I, I'm just going to mic drop and go. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, but I was reading a story about you, and it said when you were getting set for your interviews, you weren't really interviewing for a job as an on-field coach. Like, did, did you know exactly what you were interviewing for? Because you'd been with the Giants for several years, starting out actually as an intern which is incredible, and then working your way up through the organization, but not on the on-field baseball side. So what were you actually expecting going into that discussion with Gabe Kapler? It was a really exciting time, uh, the end of 2019, just with kind of all the all the newness that was, that was happening with, with Cap getting hired, and he was starting to form his staff. And then personally, I was also ready to take that next step. You know, I had been about four years in, in the current role that I was in. And you mentioned I started as an intern a couple of years prior to that. And so I was kind of ready for, for something else. And I was talking with some other executives within the organization, some people within baseball operations, and not talking as if like I was ready to jump into a new role tomorrow, but just thinking, you know, what, what's 2020 going to look like? And everybody was wrong. <laughs> but, um, it was just kind of just learning about what uh, the executives and some of the owners were thinking the direction of the giants they wanted to take. And then I was just trying to figure out a way to place myself in a position that was going to allow me to grow professionally and help the organization grow. And then I was introduced to Cap, you know, obviously when he came, came on board and 
I knew he had mentioned that he was looking for um, a couple additional people to his staff. And I didn't really, it didn't make sense to me. I didn't think I was going to talk to him about on-field staff. It was more of just kind of learning about what his coaching philosophy was, the support that he wanted, not just on the baseball side, but in the clubhouse and just throughout the organization. And so I wasn't sure that I was applying or interviewing for anything on field. It wasn't until the very, very end of the interview process that he talked about the on field uh, job responsibility that I had. So it was just a lot of conversations about my past, the experience I've had. And then also it was, was two way. I was learning about cap and, and some of the other members of, of the coaching staff and what he wanted to kind of implement, um, starting in 2020. So yeah, it was a whirlwind <laughs> and, um, yeah. Now you hear like in pro sports athletes talk about how like the game slows down for them. I know that, that you got this job, you really had to kind of figure it out as you were going. Then you had the spring training, the start, the stop, the pandemic season, all the social justice things that were very important that happened with the Giants and all around baseball in the world. So, I mean, do you feel like having survived that now, like everything's really kind of slowing down for you? You can really see exactly what you need to do this season going in. Yeah, I think having that, that this whole year, just with all the ups and downs and the twists and turns, you know, we didn't know <laughs> what we didn't know. And we, you know, were going in kind of expecting one thing. And then there were so many curveballs thrown at us. So now I have a pretty good understanding of, of what a season looks like. Definitely not a traditional 162 game season, but a season nonetheless. And uh, especially as we start to just think about spring training and just having, you know, those three to four weeks that we did have last year, uh, we all kind of know as a staff how we work together and what we want to implement. And so now we can go in with a much more kind of prepared outline of how we want it to look. And I think that will, um, you know, follow suit throughout the entire season next year. And you kind of take that and, and you also have the history breaking aspect of everything and, and kind of the pioneer role that you ended up taking on. So I would imagine that now you could see this as like, I could do anything at this point. Nothing's going to be this much hard ever again. I don't want to say that. <laughs> I, I like the, I like the challenges and uh, I'm so appreciative of the support that I have with the staff, the players and the organization it's in itself. So uh, yeah, this year was challenging in so, in so many ways, but we just really took, you know, everything one step at a time. And just for me personally, you know, there was some overwhelming <clears throat> moments throughout the year. And, you know, when you just take things one, one thing at a time, you, control what you can control things kind of have a way of working out i would assume one of those overwhelming moments was the first time you took over in oakland as the first base coach uh run me back to that i know that was historic it, it got a lot of attention national worldwide so take me back to when you actually took the field and and the, the what you felt like when that happened it was a really exciting day because it was the first day we were going to play against a team that wasn't ourselves. <laughs> we had been playing inter-squad games uh, throughout 
spring training round two or summer camp. Um, and during those games, during the inner squads, you know, Antoine Richardson, who is our first base coach, uh, he and I were just switching off um, in the first base coaching box. And, you know, I, I was learning a ton throughout that week, week and a half that we were playing those games. And and we were on the bus ride to Oakland and Antoine said, hey, in, in the seventh inning, I'm going to have you come out and coach at first. I said, okay. I just felt really prepared uh, because of the reps that I was getting in spring training. And as, you know, BP started and the game was getting closer, we were, uh, you know, at the Coliseum. It was a different, different stadium. It kind of hit me like, oh, okay, yeah, this is, you know, different team and um, there's cameras. It's go time. We're about to have opening day in just a couple of days. So it was kind of a whirlwind of emotions. And like the first feeling I had was just so much gratitude for the opportunity that we all had to play, you know, mm -hmm. at the start or in, you know, that first quarter, we weren't sure that we were going to have a 2020 season. And that day was the first day that we got to play against a different team. So there was that emotion. And then in the sixth inning, Antoine had me come out and coach first and there are obviously no fans in the stadium. So, you know, there was no like no big hoopla or anything. And I just walked out there and uh, didn't really think too much of it other than just kind of reviewing all the signs we had and uh, the notes that we had on the opposing pitchers and how they control the running game. And I was just preparing as I would for any other inner squad game that we had uh, in the weeks leading up to that game. And then, uh, it, yeah, it definitely hit me. You know, I think this is a televised game and I think my parents are going to be pretty surprised to see me on the field. And then it also crossed my mind, like, do, do I wonder if anyone's actually going to notice? I don't know, uh, but they did. So it was a great, great opportunity. I'm so grateful for Antoine and the fact that he challenged me, challenges me in so many ways. And, and for Cap to also support that was, was huge. This has been a great year for women. Uh, Katie Sowers of the 49ers, I don't know if you saw us on Instagram, but she posted a video about um, women in sports and was, you're the first one that she Aww. mentions. Uh, and then she goes into the Marlins GM. There was the, the kicker at Vanderbilt this week and the first position coach with the Browns. So football wise, just in the last couple of days, there was. Um, do you have a relationship with Katie? And if you don't, what does something like this mean to you as all you guys are kind of pioneering more possibilities for women in sports with your various roles? Katie and I had a chance to connect during our shutdown and it was just a wonderful couple of conversations that we had. We talked about just everything, our, our past, the experiences that we've had, the, our current roles, everything. And it was just like so easy. She's so easy to talk to. She gets it. She's kind of gone through the you know, you have a job to do, but then you have also this historical element and this responsibility to make sure that you're continuing to pave a path for other females. And so you can't just turn away media requests and like hide in a hole. You have to have that. But then at the same time, you want to make sure that your relationships with the players that you're building are you're sustaining those and you have that respect and you're there to help them first and foremost. But there's this added layer of the historical element and responsibility that not everybody has when they step into a coaching role, the professional level. So to be able to talk with her about the challenges that we both have gone through and 
just kind of picking each other's brains. And it's just so, so helpful. And it's kind of calming because there are days where you feel kind of lonely in this. And just to see all of these other historical moments and barriers being broken by these phenomenal females in, in throughout the sport industry, it's, it's inspiring because there's so many girls, young girls out there that they're now able to see so many different other possibilities that when I was, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, I didn't know this existed at all. And now you're these young females and, and young, young males are able to see that. And I think it just allows people to go down different paths that they didn't know existed, but that are the perfect path for them. Well, I, I love what you just said there. In fact, I'm going to take that clip and send it to my two daughters just because it really is eye-opening and it, it really shows that you can do pretty much anything you want. And, and sometimes paths open up for you that you don't expect, but you know you have to be ready for those opportunities. So I want to go back to that, that first on-field coaching experience. Did you think to yourself, nobody steals much anymore, Cap, you know? <laughs> I'm going to call a few. I'm going to call a few hit and runs. I think we're going to go. I think we're going to try to use our speed. <laughs> oh, I, I'd be lying if I said that didn't cross my mind. <laughs> no, uh, but we we talked so much about base running and how, you know, typically there's there's not a lot of value placed on base running. You know, guys don't always want to be out there practicing, running the bases or anything. So throughout this season, we really tried to make it fun and exciting. And we had little competitions within each game. Um in base running just to add some some more life and intensity and, and focus on it and cap is very uh, adamant about how about understanding the value of each out i when i played softball years ago i was just so aggressive and just tried to advance every opportunity that I could. And I think I was, he's a little bit more conservative in that sense. So this whole year I've learned a lot about uh, a more conservative base running approach, which has been um, a really fun thing to learn and discuss and also challenge one another on it. So. I, I heard one of your coaches describe your hitting style as you would swing as hard as humanly possible to try to make contact and drive the ball. Is that, is that accurate? Oh, probably. Yeah. I, I, you know, you want to swing hard. Like what's the point in not swinging hard? You know, you don't just want to make contact. You want to hit it out of the park. So yeah, I just swung as, as hard as I could. I think every at bat that I had. <laughs> so well, That's I, why I'm not one of our hitting coaches. <laughs> <laughs> well, you hit over 300, I think. So you obviously were, were making contact a fair amount of the time. Yeah. You don't have to name names here, but at any point, did any of the, the Giants uh, say, why don't you get in the cage and show us what you can do? And, and did that ever happen? It, uh, yeah, I, I got in there a couple of times. <laughs> um, not, not too many. I mean, they uh, definitely challenged me a couple of times. We never had any sort of home run derby or anything, but I'll get back out to the stadium actually in a couple of days and, and get to swing it a little. So um, I, I did some on Sunday. I'm actually kind of <laughs> sore. It's been a while, but um, yeah, the guys like to have fun and they like to challenge us and get us in the cage and get us swinging, but not too much. I mean, we, we only had a certain amount of time at the stadium each day because of 
of the coronavirus. And so there wasn't a, a too much like extra time that we had to have those kind of more fun, fun and intera interactive moments. Well, if it happens again this year, I'm sure it will. When you step in, do this. That's <laughs> just course. point. That's, that's where it's going. That's where it's that going, is, guys. Yeah. Yes. I will do that just be, for you. That'd be awesome. <laughs> so like Larry, I also have two daughters and this has been a really uh, fun year. I mean, being able to show them the example that you're setting, Katie Sowers had a really cool correspondence with my oldest daughter, actually, uh, Kim Ang with the Marlins. And um, I actually talked to uh, Amy Trash. She's the first female president of the Raiders when mm -hmm. Kim Ang got hired. And she said that, you know, she really hopes that as cool as this is, it stops being news. Like this is just normal. And it's like no big deal. Do you think that, know pretty soon we'll be able to get to that point and how, how much do you want to see that happen where it's just like it's just a normal thing to have this yeah that was a common thing that I was saying just in conversations throughout this this whole season is you know I'm so excited for the day that it's it doesn't make news because it's a female coach like this makes news because of how well established a career this person has had and now they're they're stepping into an elevated role and you know i i don't know how soon that'll happen because it's still amazing things that need to be celebrated because for so long so many females in particular have had the door shut on them strictly because of their gender and so i do think that it is important that there are so many, you know, there's so much press and announcements when these females break down these barriers. And I do think it's important that we do talk about and acknowledge the men that have helped break down these ba barriers. I would not be here without Cap. He's the one that opened this door for me and trusted me to take on this role. And I know that other other females in roles like this have said some very similar things. Um, I do look forward to the day where, you know, it's it's not um, breaking news, you know, just because a, a female is doing a male's role. But it is something that I am excited is is being celebrated right now. Um, I hope that, you know, within the next decade or so, uh, it's just it's just another role. It's another coach. Yeah, she's a coach, but she's not the female coach. She's a coach. Yeah, I mean, oh, you're right, showing up to work and then like the outfit you're wearing is now in Cooperstown. So, <laughs> I mean, that's about as extreme as it gets, right? Yeah, that's nuts. That's nuts. I think um, one of the things that I really would like to get a true answer on, and we asked this a lot in the beginning, is what is it like when there is no fans? I mean, you've played your whole career and even maybe in high school or college, I mean, the crowds are smaller, but there's still people. And to be in a major league stadium all year long, it was weird for us, the fake crowd noise. It didn't feel the same. But I mean, when you watch on TV, it seems a little more real because the announcers are there. But inside the stadium, I know just as a media person, it feels different. So for you as a competitor, as a person on the field, for the athletes, what were those conversations that like? And did you ever get used to it at all? It, we did. I, I, I think we all got, got used to not having fans there. Uh, the crowd noise actually, did, even though it was very weird, and for the first week or two in various stadiums, you could tell they were really getting used to, you know, when to press the clapping sound, <laughs> when to press the cheer sound. Um, so that was kind of interesting to see. But by the end of the season, it just it felt so normal. And, uh, you know, we'd look back and it's like, whoa, these cutouts are, are 
are here and there's nobody here. It's so weird, but um, we, I think fans add such like a different element to the game. And I think there were, you know, some moments that if we had Oracle Park filled with those 41,000 people, I think, you know, a game or a play here or there might have gone our way. Um, just with the intensity and the mo and emotion that comes with, with having fans and, and the cheers, you know, at a baseball game. But it did, quite honestly, for me, again, I don't have too much to compare it to other than, you know, spring training. But um, this is my first season and yeah. we didn't have fans. I think for the veteran guys, guys have been in the, in the league for a long time. It was certainly very weird. Um, but I, I do think that just having fans adds that extra, like, emotional push um, for athletes and, and just, just for anybody who's uh, competitive. So... I really hope that we see a lot more fans in the stands next year. Uh, we'll see, but it it did it did start to feel a little bit normal. But you know, we know that there's so much that the fans bring, and and we really missed them this season. I mean, I felt the same way just covering it. There is a jolt when you're watching a game inside a stadium, and and something happens, and there's a reaction, positive or negative. Um, I want to take you back to the last week. That last week, you guys are in playing playoff contention. It didn't go your way. Um, what do you look back on last year? Because you were so close. And I, I know personally, I would have liked to have seen you guys play the Dodgers in a quick three-game series because you know them so well. So talk about that week and what potentially you could have done and what the future looks like for, for the Giants. Yeah, it was a, and a, well, I mean, the whole season was just so emotional and intense. Every single game mattered. And sure, every game in a 162-game season matters, but... I mean, it was just so, you know, so much more intense because it was shortened. I think that last week we knew we had a really, really good chance. And quite honestly, there was a lot that we could control to put us into playoffs. And there were just a couple of things that, you know, we didn't execute the way that we wanted to execute. And we came up just a little bit short. I think that that was a, it was so hard. Like it's a gut punch and, I think it really fueled us to, you know, get back into 2021 and continue on that momentum that we had um, throughout this whole season, quite honestly, not just at the end, but throughout the whole season, you know, there was, there were so many sparks, so many positive things that this team brought day in, day out to every single game. And we're just really excited to build off of that. I think, you know, this was a brand new staff and I think these players just wanted to get to know how we worked and to, you know, start to build that trust between one another. And I think we got into a really good flow and a really good rhythm. And I think that, you know, 2021 is going to bring some, some exciting things to the Giants organization. I saw an interview with Cap recently where he said he's still thinking about that last weekend series and it's really irritating. Like he's thinking about individual at bats and if this, then that, if this, but to you personally, there were probably a number of these moments, but maybe which one stuck out the most where you were either, I don't know, before the game, after a game, uh, traveling, whatever, where you had your, I'm in the major leagues moment where something happened or maybe it was an exchange with, you know, somebody like a Pablo Sandoval or somebody mm. that's been in baseball forever. And you're like, 
I'm in uniform. He's in uniform. This is, this is crazy. This is fantastic. I think every single game or every single series at one point, I would, I, I would, it would hit me and I would feel that, you know, like, wow, I'm, I'm here and I'm, you know, talking with Mike Trout or I'm here and I'm talking with these other managers of these organizations, these other coaches and just talking shop about what they do before coming to the stadium each day. And um, there were a lot of times where, you know, we would do early work on the field and, you know, it's not the full on batting practice at that point. It's just, uh, you know, anywhere between one to four players at a time. And you know, being on the field just with those players uh, and having the whole field to yourself, there were there were so many moments where I would just like stop and, and be in the outfield and just like really try and soak that in because those are moments that are really hard to explain, but you just feel so extremely like lucky and, and full of gratitude to be there. Opening day is even though it was, it didn't look exactly like any other opening day with a sold out stadium by any means, but it was the first, first game, first official, you know, major league game that I got to coach. And again, it kind of is similar to that exhibition game where we didn't know if that moment was going to come in 2020 and it did. And we got to lace up and be out there. And, and that was really special and a moment and a game that I'll, I'll, I'll never forget. Can you share any of the Mike Trout conversation? Because um, uh, I imagine some of the, a lot of the players probably want to talk to you because your history making at that moment, like, whoa, like what's going on? Like, you know, so I, I don't know how much you can share. Yeah, it was just very, very casual. Um, a, a quick hello, a congratulations. And then he went into the, <laughs> to like take BP. And that's how it was with a majority of, of the players. And there were some that came out and, and coaches too that would talk about their daughters that they have or the relationship that they have with their sister, uh, the relationship they have with their mom. And we would just, you know, talk about our upbringings and, and them being an older brother and I have two older brothers and just talk about that dynamic. And, you know, just these, it was awesome and very easy to have these kinds of, of conversations. And, you know, I think that a, a very, uh, uh, oftentimes I get a question or I did kind of in the beginning, like, are you, do you think that, you know, players are going to like this or respect you or are you comfortable there? And that, that kind of stuff. I'm like, I've never, I'm really comfortable here. Like I'm totally myself. And, you know, I think just with anything, no matter who you are, or what industry you're in there, sure. There are going to be people that just don't see eye to eye with you and that's okay, but they show you respect. And, and for me, this whole season, I've felt nothing but respected by all of the players in our organization and, and just the staff and th everyone throughout the Giants organization. And then also the players, umpires and coaches and managers of, of other organizations. You know, I just felt, felt like I was part of the team, which is exactly what I am. So Mike Trout didn't ask about spin rate. We didn't. I'm sorry, Chris. <laughs> he did not ask anything about spin rate. <laughs> I know Larry's kind of joking about analytics and stuff, but the Giants' new regime is very into that. So do you take some of this downtime uh, that we all have now and kind of try to dive into that a little bit more and, and see what you can offer in that that uh, vein? Or do you 
you kind of just leave it up to them to, to study all these numbers. I'm sure they're looking at numbers that we've never even heard of at this point. Yeah, we're very um, analytically focused as a staff, as an organization. Um, we have just like a, a, a coach's text thread, but our analysts are on that because there's really no decision that we make throughout the game that doesn't have some sort of an analyst perspective behind it. And, you know, Cap is somebody who's extremely thorough and wants a variety of perspectives. And he really looks at the numbers and different analytics for uh, certain situations or certain athletes, certain players. And so there's, there's a lot of that. And, you know, I communicate with one of our analysts almost every single day and um, you know, just about a lot of things. Uh, but yeah, analytics is something that we're all really diving into and, and taking into account. And it's a foundation of, you know, our philosophy as a staff when it comes to, to coaching and, and the reasons why we are doing what we're doing, whether it's defensive positioning or um, the way the lineup is constructed, that sort of thing. So we had Cap on this show shortly after he got hired in Honestly, we kind of joked he might be the most interesting person in the world. I, I think you might actually have him beat because I listened to you with our friends at Shelter on Base, and, and I was hearing about journaling, bartending school, flash mobs, 4-H clubs, <laughs> surfing, exercise. I mean, like, which of those subjects would you like to go down right now? Ooh, um, let's let's go down the surfing route because it's yes. really good right now. <laughs> yeah, is it? I mean – I would imagine it's freezing cold. I was actually just in San Diego and, and I kind of got in the water. I didn't even try to surf. I've done it before, obviously. But um, And then I heard a great story about you going to Panama, right? Yes. Yeah. So I learned how to surf when I went to Panama. I went there a little over three years ago. I just... Uh, I was a maid of honor in a wedding and I left a little bit early, got on a plane and flew straight to Panama by myself. And uh, yeah, went to this, this little town about seven hours away from Panama City, uh, off the beaten path, no cell service. And everybody there just surfs all day and uh, just runs on the beach. And so I jumped in and, and learned and spent, I think it was, you know, seven days, seven or eight days straight, just in the water twice a day, uh, surfing at sunrise, surfing at sunset and, and just learning how, how to do it. I'd never done it before. Um, and I fell in love with it. It was literally like life changing. And so I came back here to San Francisco where the water is freezing and had to learn how to put on a wetsuit. And then I've just been going down to Pacifica, which is just 20 minutes south of San Francisco and, and surfing there. Um, Ocean Beach is, a, is a, an amazing break, but it's a little too extreme for me. I'm still very much a beginner. So um, I only go out there on very, very small days and it is not small right now. So I, I take make the trek down to Pacifica quite often and get in the water. Um, actually, any day that I can. So so I know you're, you're an athlete. And of all the sports I did, including board sports, surfing to me was by far the, far, the hardest to learn. Like, how long did it take you to, to get up and ride that first wave? <sighs> right away. I, it was, you know... The first wave that, that I got, I was up and then I was thinking, this is so awesome. And then 
you know, for the next three hours, I was getting tumbled and it was not so awesome. But there's something about being in the water that just one, you have to be so humble because there's so much you can't control out there. And so you have to really look within yourself, stay within yourself. And it's there's a lot of life lessons uh, when you're surfing and just out in the ocean in general. So it was, you know, I feel like when you're in warm water, for me, it just feels so much easier. Uh, you know, the falls don't hurt as much. Um, so it, I, I, I picked it up pretty quickly. And now my biggest challenge is just finding the right placement in the water and knowing which wave to take. And then I think once we all went into quarantine, especially around here, a lot of people picked up surfing. So it gets pretty crowded out there. And quite honestly, I'm more afraid of other surfers and getting hit with their boards than I am of anything else that's that's in the water. For a while, when, when we were in quarantine, we really picked up the podcast. And because we didn't have any sports, everyone was available to talk to us. And then it's been a little slower because we've had games to cover, fortunately. Um, but one of the things we talked about early in quarantine was shows you're watching. Tiger King was really big back in the beginning of the pandemic. So did you watch Tiger King? That's for Casey more so. And are you watching anything now that that, that is a must watch? Do you watch a lot of TV or stream anything? I did watch Tiger King. It was like watching a train wreck and you just couldn't look away. But I laughed out loud, I think the whole time. I mean, there's so much bad that was going on, but dang, it was just so funny. Um, yeah, interesting. And now I started the Queen of the South, but it's gotten a little too intense and gory and violent for me. So um, I haven't really gotten too deep into it. It's just a little too much. I wish I liked it because I think the story is supposed to be pretty cool. Um, <laughs> what other shows? I was a big Dancing with the Stars fan and that just wrapped up last last week. Uh, but that was a fun like weekly show to kind of get excited about and watch on Monday nights on ABC seven. Have you checked out the Queen's Gambit yet? <gasps> yes. That oh, love that. Yes, that's a good one. I can't believe I didn't say that first. But I did watch that one. That one's great. Um, and then on Thanksgiving, it's a tradition that in our family, we watched Christmas vacation. So I watched yep. Christmas vacation last Thursday. And um, my, uh, daughters love to watch the bachelorette, um, <laughs> because that's also can be a uh, very train wrecky at times. So, uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on there and I'm just like, wow. And yeah. the, the funny thing is that, uh, they all want to talk during the show about reacting to, and I'm just like, hmm. how are we doing? How can I even listen to this when you guys are doing your own play-by-play -play over here? Of and so, for a two-hour show, it takes about four hours to get through. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, let's go back another thirty seconds. Oh, I, mi I missed that. Oh, you missed it because you were talking. <laughs> anyway, that's a personal aside. Um, I, you know, when things get back to normal, what I really want to see is I want to see Chris on the mound throwing to you in the batting cage, and I just want you to swing as hard as you possibly can. <laughs> I will. Just drive one right over the fence. And totally. And we'll run that on the, on the news <laughs> a thousand times. We'll run it on a loop and everywhere. Can we do that? Let's do it. 
Awesome. All right. Awesome. Um, well, Alyssa, thanks so much for your time. We look forward to whatever the new normal is in 2021 with sports and baseball uh, and, and life, really. Yeah. And uh, so uh, thank you so much for sharing your time with us this afternoon. And we can't wait to see you at spring training and then for the start of, uh, of the major league season. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. With authority.